Editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. We're doing a rare afternoon podcast. It's kind of nice. I feel like Cheryl Crow should be over on that bar stool. Maybe. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of good here. We're on Wednesday, June 4th, 2014. So again, any news that happens on Thursday, June 5th, we are not responsible You're for on talking about on this podcast. We or can't talk about later today. Or even later today. You're right, because it's only three. So, uh, yes, of course, that voice you heard, my fabulous announcer, our man in Los Angeles. I'm Dave Costa. And our podcast producer. I'm Rick Brett Snyder. And we are podcasting, by the way, from the Seven Stars Bar and Grill, 398 Bascombe Avenue in San Jose, California. So please, if you, uh, I don't know if you like what you're hearing from us, but if you, like to, if you want to hang out at a place with good food and Star Wars decorations everywhere, Feeling like you're actually like you could both cook and be at home in your bedroom. This is the place. Uh, so that sounded weirder it sounded than it weird. was in my head, but okay. uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think so. Yeah. So uh, we've got some comics news. A lot of movie news has been going on the last couple weeks since we last gathered. Uh, since Bacon, I guess, was the last podcast we had. Yes. Now, what is this bacon? It's a delicious pork-based meat. It's a gathering Ooh, of people delicious. who love You were there. Bacon. You were there in spirit. We I we know, posted a picture audibly. of the uh, we posted a picture of the speaker that was you. So uh, sure. that was good. Uh, so I do have one question about bacon. Yes. Uh, it was either a text message or a email back and forth between you and I, and you did type bacon. Was that an autocorrect or did that you was an autocorrect? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I'm not going to stop, and it's bacon. <laughs> but what I've learned about Siri. Is that in no way, shape, or form She's a wicked, will it accept the name of conventions? So still, right? I I have dictated the word Cinequest, and it has come back to me spelled eight different ways of two to three words when it's one, and then when I go well, screw it, and I like go to retype it, then it offers the correct spelling, but it never approaches offers the first the correct spelling first. So every time I type uh, uh, Comic Con, it tells me that I'm not good enough. Thanks, oh, well. Siri, and yeah. thanks, Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, do you need therapy? Because we can't afford that. I, we're a small business, and no, we're not even a small business. We're two guys at a bar with with drinks and microphones. I'll have another drink. I'll be fine. And a third guy in Valencia on Skype. On Skype. So. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> Nate, this one's for you. All right. So in the comics news, just to make Rick drink some further, uh, a little more, is it has been announced and confirmed that uh, Warren Ellis has uh, and the creative team of Moon Knight is going to be leaving after issue six. So I don't know. Maybe that's a good news <laughs> is to say, well, at least that means we only have to buy one, six one issues really of Moon Knight. Trade. Yeah, one really good trade. Uh, yeah, the replacements might be good. Who knows? But Who knows? But this has been really awesome. Yeah, so uh, I think that's good. But it, but I, I bring Warren Ellis up because it's not quite a what's in the bag. It was something that uh, a listener actually uh, emailed me and asked if I had picked up this book uh, titled by Warren Ellis called Trees. Did you see Trees? No, I did not. So from Image Comics. And at Baycom, we were talking about sci-fi comics, yes. right? You know, we were talking about harder science fiction. And uh, and so uh, Trees is from Image, and I think it came out last week, and then it was uh, Louis Stone Cologne, and he, he uh, came by school and actually loaned me the first issue so I could read it and talk about it. It's an alien invasion story in which quite literally what it is is that, that we are completely unprepared for these huge, 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 like neighborhood size, we'll assume plant life trees from space that just come down they're implacable they take out entire city blocks and from time and you there's no communicating with them they reach into the sky they're ridiculously tall and they just sit there and so it's like the happening if it actually had something going on well maybe that's what warren ellis was thinking is this is how it should have been yeah because from time to time they expel toxic waste which which destroys everything around it so it's the reverse of uh, they're taking in oxygen and breeding out carbon dioxide. Yeah. So yeah. don't uh, don't mess with the but trees. But it's interesting. But what he's doing with the story is taking three dist- distinct neighborhoods so far, which is uh, Rio de Janeiro. So they have there's the Rio tree. The Rio tree has just expelled waste. And what is what? Is, what? How do the Brazilians respond to it? The Brasileiros. Uh, New York, like so, the mayor of Manhattan, the guy running running for mayor of Manhattan, and trying to wait a minute. There's a tree in Manhattan. There's a tree grows in Brooklyn, is what you're thinking, but uh, but uh, the tree has landed in Manhattan, took out several again, so, you know, several thousand people just by showing up, yeah. and there's no communication. Um, I think that there's a fourth tree they're working with because there's one in China, and how that that basically all the artists and the creatives have been. Uh, the undesirables have been forced to live in the shadow of the tree, and uh, so you know because then it's it can be walled off, you know, for safety's sake. Put okay. them in there with it and just wall it off. So it's kind of an interesting cultural. They wall take. off a tree. They they build huge walls around because it, we're talking it's like right several several miles in di- diameter. So and that's to keep the toxins in, or we don't know yet. Okay. We don't. I mean, it's one you know one issue just setting up that that. Uh, it's an interesting take on alien invasion, which I, I think is true. I mean, I think Kirby kind of treated the Celestials that way. I mean, I, I don't feel like in the books that I've read that for the most part the Celestials seem particularly aware of humanity. You know, there's very, very, very few exceptions to that. Yeah, but you, you yeah, know, they would come down and just they 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 were there to watch and eventually judge. Okay, so that's even more specific in this play. In this case, that nobody knows. Yeah, and I and thinking that that's prob that's to me seems very likely in an alien invasion and of a life form that can get this far uh is gonna be i believe it's from the mothman prophecy the movie is like when was the last time you tried to explain yourself to an ant that's what right. these creatures are above us to us so it looks like an interesting sci-fi book i've never 
I've been disgusted by Warren Ellis books, but I've never been disappointed by them. He's done some very out there. Yeah, I mean, I know that. I know he's stories. done some outs. <laughs> Crooked Little Vein. Have you read that novel? I have it. I haven't read it. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. I want you to. Yeah, thank you. I, I want you to want get to the Godzilla porn scene. Okay, and the saline injection scenes. Oh, saline. Um, if you've read the book, you know what a horrible image I'm bringing up in your head. And we're going to bring it into... into cool. That's your summer reading Is challenge. That my summer reading challenge? Well, it's you a know, little book. It's not very big. No, it's not. It, it's not. And I, and, I, and I, you know, I mean, I, I read a book you gave me for Christmas. I just finished Down and Out in The Magic, oh, the Magic Kingdom. Kingdom. So thank you. Yeah. You know, fantastic book, as I had hoped it would be. I recommend now... You read Crooked Little Vein. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of us is getting the, t- <laughs> the short end of the stick. Uh, you want to talk about Superman Doomed, the big crossover event and it's, uh, in New 52. I just want to say that I'm Is anyone caring? I, 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 this has been um, a good, cohesive, more than, like, they've done a lot of these family events. Mm-hmm. So the Batman's done several events, and they've done a number oh, of sure. crossovers between the JLXs, whatever whatever the uh yeah i'm not i'm not you're going bringing there. back the amalgam universe <laughs> mm, jlx was a good book well, mm-hmm. jla jl dark jl yeah, canada yeah. right <laughs> oh, oh canada did oh. that thing last is it still coming out well it was justice league just, united uh, united n- number zero right and then and then it continued in justice league canada number one okay and if i may just say i absolutely despise what they did to adam strange Okay, I despise it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't sold on the zero. I was glad they came out with the zero, and I said no. I, no and, I and I like Jeff Lemire, but I read the two. I read the two issues, zero and number one, and I, they're dumb. That's the that's that's one of the worst characterizations of any of those characters I've read in a long time. Now the the, the Superman Doom Doom yeah. is the series. They've just gone to a second arc, which is called. It's in my. My stack. It's just right over here. Uh huh. Uh huh. Enemy of the State is the second arc of this, uh, but it started. I mean, it was really, really nicely done because it it's been in uh, Superman, Wonder Woman. It's been in action and in Superman, and in. Um, wow. See, I got the good you, girl one. Yeah. You got the good girl one. The yeah, bombshell action. So, so you can see him there in the first first page. He's kind of. Because as I expected, the doomsday thing was kind of a uh, MacGuffin. He's infected now with the doomsday aspect. Okay, so this is aspect. a chat. This is calling it a sub-story within. The whole thing is still called Doomed, but right. Enemy of the State is chap. This chap. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Cool. So, so it's, been, it's been really well done as far as breaking across the books. It's been in Batman Superman. It's been in, in the, all the Superman books. I don't read Superboy or Supergirl, but I'm pretty sure it's not in those books anymore. If it, if it, yeah, if I don't think it was. I they were, was they were Superman in, titles. They appeared in the annual, um, which yeah. was the end of one story, which bridged over to the new one. Well, but they have done a few crossovers because the there was that uh, one with uh, the the survivor of Krypton. The hell, uh, hell, yeah, 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 yeah. I, so didn't hold my interest either. No, he's kind of a weak character, and they kind of explain why he was kind of a weak character, and then they kind of did away with him, and it's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, they did They did a little bit of something with the uh, bottled city of Candor at the beginning. Okay. But I haven't seen it again since. I'm a little, a little behind on the latest issues, but I think that might come back 
as part of this. But actually, uh, I was getting kind of weak on Superman. I liked the Superman Wonder, uh, Superman Wonder Woman crossover Interesting. book. That one was actually exploring their relationship in a realistic way and had some interesting, um, you know, yeah, some interesting attributes to okay. a super-powered relationship. Okay. Um, but I, I actually, I'm, if you haven't been reading this, I think this might be worth picking up in trades later. Well, I, I have them all. It's, again, a matter yeah. of going back and putting them in the right order and reading them. Yeah, it's um, not hard to do. They did number this sequence. Yeah, so... Um, I do want to say one piece of news that we didn't talk about that because we're talking about you know the new fifty two is that Bob Wayne, the longtime marketing manager uh, of DC, has has announced his retirement uh-huh. in the last what? few weeks. Yeah, you didn't notice that, did you? Um, no. So uh, he's not going to make the move to Los Angeles with the rest of DC uh, in the next. He's probably one of the older guys on that crew. Been around for about twenty seven years. Yeah, um, you know definitely. I did, I did appreciate his interplay with Dan DiDio on all the panels. I did like that. I found him occasionally somewhat rude to fans, oh. but he had a different agenda. Yeah. You know, I mean, and his agenda has always been maintain the mystery and sell the books. Right. The the thing I, that I would see see will be interesting is uh, again love him hate him. I I had very good interactions with him, and I had and I had some prickly interactions with him, and you know who knows that's just humanity. Yeah. Uh, but he was good at selling books. And and marketing the books, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with New Fifty Two, where you don't really have, will you have somebody of the kind of mastery of the spin yeah. that Bob Wayne had? You know, he knew the market inside and out. Yeah. And uh, when the books are, when many of them are not as of high quality, Bob Wayne managed to sell before Watchmen. You know, and and <laughs> that was a book of uh, that was a concept of burying quality but he managed to make it all happen so um you know we'll we'll see but that's just we i felt it was too big a story to not ever acknowledge you know that's going to be it's kind of interesting we're going to feel the the change in about six months to a year and a guy in his older years who doesn't want to move to the warm warm southern state you know and we well no he's from texas so he may just want to go back he's in new york okay so you know he may just not he may feel he's he's been working long enough he was a comic book store owner for many years before he join dc you may just say it's time to retire get out of the game go back to texas go back home sure so uh you know who knows but we wish him luck and hope is all all for the best there uh and you wanted to bring over at marvel the gardens galaxy preludes which i guess were there was a one shot last week i saw it there were two they were they were issues one and two of the guardians of the galaxy prelude were these the dan abnett and andy lanning uh, they were they were it started off the first one was uh nova basically a focus on nova and ah. her origins and stuff and oh, then, interesting and then it was uh and that one now i regret not having bought that i have to say well you know i'm i'm not i wasn't as excited about this and i was kind of like this has made me worry a little bit about the ongoing guardians of the galaxy franchise i i, I still think the movie's going to be great mm-hmm. but I'm a little worried about about the storytelling in Marvel if these were meant to entice me into watching the movie, which is usually what they do with these prelude books where they have photos of the movie on the cover. They, yeah. did, they did them for the Avenger, Avengers. Yeah. Uh, I could also know. say, though, and not again, not having read this, but that's never stopped us from talking about things we, we don't really know anything about. What I do know about those preludes is remember that the writing team has been at odds. Yeah. 
and it's quite possible that you get, you know, they just wanted to get it done. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're they're stamped Cinematic Universe tie-in on the front cover. Oh, I've never. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah. As a as a, which is good. There's different. I don't need a Cinematic Universe tie-in. To me, if I were again, because I think Marvel's done this so well, I don't know why yeah. they bother with this when. You've actually got this really good book called Guardians of the Galaxy. Indeed. With most of the characters being recognizably the same characters in the right. film, in the same situation, plus Iron Man. Right. Okay, Angela's running around. What the hell is that? But plus, you know, it still, came out so early because it could be off the stands by the time the movie comes yeah. out. So if you're not... It's a weird timing. It's a, it's I, a very weird that. timing, and it was a weak effort. So. But um, you know what? We're going to come back to it because I think that's part of something in the movie news, uh, okay. uh, or at least in the, the story that gets bigger and the conspiracy that gets larger. And if wow. that has not taunted you, listener, wow. to continue listening, I don't know what could. I wish I could sing the X-Files. That was bad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's play What's in the Bag. I have two books listed to talk about, but okay. I know they're going to be What's in the Bags. You know what we should do? Have Nate sing. We should start with Nate, and he can sing him yes. himself in. Go ahead, Nate. Sing yourself in. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? <laughs> he changed it up. Oh, okay. Anyway. Yes. What's in the bag for you, Nate? Well, the first item in my bag Go for it. is... Big Trouble in Little China. I knew it. I've only been waiting months for this You've since the very first image was ever released. We've been waiting uh, decades for this. Come on. <laughs> I the guess Continuing that's Adventures of Jack Burton and His Pork Chop Express. Good old Jack Burton. Yes. You know what Jack Burton says. You can't put Jack it in there. Jack Burton says a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Who? It's going to take Cracker Jack timing, Wayne. Total concentration. Ready, Jack? It's getting hot in here. It's just me. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Jack Burton looks that old storm right square in the eye and says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. I loved that the first page was the last minute of the movie. Exactly. Exactly picks up where the movie left off. Exactly. Exactly. So... Uh, I read it as well, so tell me your take. I, you know, ha- did it fulfill your expectations? Uh, I will not say it fulfilled my expectations because my expectations were extremely high. So true. But reflecting upon it, I cannot say that I'm disappointed. Okay, I, I'm gonna say that, and I know it's no good to say that say this, but I wish that Eric Powell had done the art. On the inside. Yeah. yeah. Because I felt that, the style was someone trying to look somewhat like. That is such a Mad Magazine version of Kurt Russell. Isn't yeah. It? You know, I mean, and, and, <laughs> and I'm saying, and Eric Powell has that sense too, but he would have made it no, that's, smoother. Yeah. You know, and, but this is not bad art at all. And again, and I'm going to agree with it, I still maintain the stance that I have read plenty of great books that I did not like the art. 
And I'm not not liking the art. It was just I just wished for that one little extra oomph of it being Powell on the interiors. Right. Yeah. Well, Although you want, you if want... Eric Powell was doing the art, we would not see this book for probably another two years. Okay, fair enough. But, but they... you want to push this over into into more people going into comic book stores to buy this book because they like the movie. Yeah. And and bolstering the industry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's several covers. There's like ten, I think, different different uh, variants. But uh, yeah. but an enjoyable continuation, especially the implication, which Rick just thumbed past but didn't understand. The implication of an entire huge oh, adventure yeah. that we did not realize that this, which I mean, sort of does make sense. The Jack Burton's in this kind of trouble all the damn time. <laughs> so we just only saw one little piece. You know, I've been talking to people about the Burton character and, and the idea that he doesn't really do anything. Oh no, he's it's, a, it's the same. It's the it's the Sheldon and Leonard. It's the Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Uh, awakening about Indiana Jones. Yeah. Awakening about Indiana Jones. Yeah. And that that uh, he's just kind of like an observer. I do argue this though. I you know when we watch Raiders of the Lost Ark again, no, I feel that Indiana Jones is more active. It's just that he keeps failing at it. Yeah, that's different. Jack Burton really doesn't do anything until the chips are down. At the end, I think he really. Well, does. he shoots. The, he shoots the gun into the ceiling, and the pieces fall out and knock him on the yeah, head. Yeah, right? yeah, things yeah. like that. But he catches the bottle. Yeah, and if you don't know, we're he talking, catches a knife. And, and, and oh, that's right. But he catches the, the bottle first. Is right uh, yeah. at the beginning of the movie. At the beginning. So if so you don't, reflexes. Wayne. If you don't know what we're talking about, then you need to get Big Trouble in Little China. And I'm going to say this the right state now. Of the American uh, the education now. today. I I guarantee you, right now, you go to Fanboy Planet. I will have by the time this is up on the page for the for the podcast. I will have up a link for Big Trouble in Little China. I thought you were going to say a whole Jack Burton curriculum. If only there were. <laughs> if only there were. Yeah, you're working on it for six years. See, late this at is night. this is truly this is an easy fandom to get into. Yeah, you have Big Trouble in Little China the movie, and then thirty years later, Big Trouble in Little China issue number one. So <laughs> come on, which take place a couple of minutes after the movie. This is only going to take you a day. To become a diehard fan of Big Trouble in Little China. So. This is a really fast read, too. But it was good. Yeah. I, you know, I enjoyed it. So what's in your bag, Rick? Okay, so the first thing I had in my bag was, and you've got it, too, but I'm going to take it because I probably had it in my hand before you did. You jerk. Princess Ugg, which is uh, Ted Nafee's uh, new book, which I just love this. And we've talked about this in the podcast so much about the, the importance of bringing out books with strong female characters that you could hand off to young potential comic book female comic book readers, mm-hmm. and this just this just hits on all cylinders. This is the this is a combination of Brave and Mulan and Conan. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is a no no holds barred, although not uh, pretty blood free. So with with all the characters we've had recently, like. Like the Frozen Sisters, and we've got the and we've got Brave and stuff. It's nice to see something something like that coming into a comic book, but truly an action adventure, sword and sorcery. Well, again, I don't know why more companies aren't doing it. There's, it's obviously a huge, actually, when you potentially huge, potentially huge market. No, no, no. I mean, because look, all right. So Brave was big. Not as big as the as, as Frozen as Frozen, right? So why isn't there a book like Frozen out there? With why isn't there a book addressing that young women want role models as well? 
And because I'll tell you why. Okay, tell me why, Nate. Wow. Because if you're going to have a comic book based on Frozen... No, no, not based on Frozen. Where the kid never learns how to use her powers... People that read comic books will go nuts. No, you no, do the story. The, you do the follow-up story where she does learn to use no, her powers. No, no, no. I'm not talking about doing Frozen. Right. I'm saying do a book in which there's characters like Anna and Elsa. There's a storyline there. They, they do, you know, they, they, what, what's beyond. All that Frozen proves to me is because, obviously, Jiminy Christmas, once upon a, a time, puts the, puts the teaser that Elsa's coming. Right. Uh, and... Uh, and everybody's going nuts. Right. So it's clear. They don't want to know. They don't want to see. You're right. They don't want to see the girl who doesn't know how to use her powers. They want to see what happens once she does. Yeah. And they don't want to see it in terms of like Black Widow, a very strong female character, but who does not sell that well for Marvel because it's not appropriate for kids. The kids need to see that. Something like Princess Ugg and Ted Naife has done that with Polly and the Pirates, has right. done that with Courtney Crumrin, has made it appropriate, and, and that has been not everything he's done, but most of what he's done has been appropriate for all ages and been strong female role models. And we need... And great stories. And we need more artists with that kind of talent working that way. Now, Kelly Sue DeConnick has obviously, is obviously doing that with uh, Captain Marvel, G. Willow Wilson with right. Ms. Marvel. And I'd say to some extent, I still wouldn't show... Like Luke, pretty deadly, but I would show Allie, who's 15, pretty deadly, from Kelly Sue DeConnick, hmm. you know, in, in, in that that's that it is at least strong character, female characters, right? Um, but it's still not what I'm looking for, you know. Right. It, and maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. But if you want, if you write in, if you know of a book I don't know about that is perfect, because people ask me all the time, like for my daughter, what can I show her? And it's still depressingly slim compared to what I can, you know, what we can show show but boys. But it's getting better. It is getting better. And I think Disney is recognizing this. We'll talk about another one later in the show. Okay. All right. All right. So what's in my bag? Uh, I'm going to pull up another sci-fi-ish uh, from Image. Yeah, this is weird. I feel like I am buying so image. much Image. Yeah. And partially because of their fantastic trade paperback thing of, for the last, it's been expensive for me, but yet inexpensive at the same time. For the last two months, at least every at least every other week, there's been a, a five to six issue trade paperback of a new series yeah. collected for ten bucks. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like that big a gamble. So I just picked up Black Science, um, Manifest Destiny. Um, Have you read Black Science? I read the first issue. Which I read was, the first issue, which was like Space Family Robinson yeah. done evil. So I'm intrigued by it, um, and I've heard a lot of people tell me great things. It left me a little flat, but I, I felt like I wanted to get because the they left you because I think it started almost too late in the story, yeah, and too negative. You're you're you know, but but I've heard some really good things about it, so I'm going to continue. I just read the first issue last night, uh, but I picked up Madame Frankenstein by Megan Levin, so a female writer, yep. um, and we again we talk about this with art by Jamie S. Rich. I really like. I'm hoping because the first issue did not seem too gory. So I'm hoping it stays this way because this looks to me like like a kind of this could be exactly what I'm talking about. A fun book yeah. that young girls who are like, you know, they're into, they're flirting with Twilight, they're, you know, show them something that takes it a little seriously in the concept of the Frankenstein monster, um, you know, which is clearly kind of trying to float around in the zeitgeist and people want to 
bring them down because we had that I Frankenstein movie at the beginning of the year. Who did um, we? We did. It's on home video now. <laughs> uh, I, I still haven't seen it. I haven't seen but, it. Um, I haven't seen it either. But and this, I never will. But this looks interesting, and it's paced interestingly, and the, and the art's very friendly and accessible. And you know, so I'd like to hope, you know, um, because I, you know, I picked up because of the TV show iZombie, the first uh, collection of that, and I thought again. I could show a 15-year-old. I wouldn't show a 12-year-old iZombie, but it was a Vertigo book, and that's okay. Right. But it's an interesting, it, it was an interesting concept. But again, this, I, I think I could show a 12-year-old girl and say, enjoy this. So I, I'm hoping it is enjoyable. I haven't had a chance to read the second issue, but I thought the first issue was pretty good. Yeah. And set in, like, the 20s, so there was a good sense of style and a, and a different world. Actually, you, you keep on holding that up, and you're holding the back cover uh, revival, revival by Tim Seeley and Mike Norton, which I honestly don't know anything about, I, except, I that, it, except that it's uh, crossing over with Chew. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, That's right. That was uh, last week that came out. Yeah. So um, there's that. So next for Nate. What's in the bag, Nate? How about Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man, Issue 2? Right. Already. Was this so, one of the four that you read? What's that? This, this is, is one of the four that I read. Yep. Excellent. Uh, picking up where the ultimate, whatever it was called, cataclysm event left off. Yeah. And spoilers for issue one of this book. So if you didn't read it, plug your ears. Okay. Peter Parker shows up in Miles' apartment. Out of the blue. So you're thinking, okay, is this 616 Peter Parker? Is this a hallucination? Well, issue two, you see some more Peter Parker. Yeah, so it's 616. So you want me to tell you? Are you just just leave it alone? Yeah. The answer is we don't know yet. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No, but my my suspicion, Bendis already tweeted a photo. Um, from an all-new X-Men issue with Miles Morales. Uh-huh. So I think that's in the plans, that he's going to cross back over. I really don't want to read all-new X-Men. <laughs> I know, but you may have to... All-new X-Men, no. all X-Men is actually a really good book. Of the, of that's, the, uh, that's not why he doesn't want to read it. He doesn't want to read X-Men? Because it's another book to buy. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. That's one reason, but I... When... Uh, who was writing it? When Brubaker and Fraction were writing X-Men, I tried reading it because I like those guys. Yeah. And it was just so much convolution that yeah. I was like, yeah, forget it. I I'm can- done. I well, I think you you came in on the end of a very convoluted storyline. That may be, but honestly, it, when you try to defend what's going on in all-new X-Men... That still feels complicated. The team, original team comes forward in time. I think they've been handling it wonderfully. Maybe, but that's because you know what's going on. I mean, I don't know that that's accessible. I, I, you, don't, you don't really have to know anything other than these are the younger versions of the X-Men. They aren't, there isn't that much of the old mythos that they're not they're I not felt in the about. first 12 issues there absolutely was because then you know, they're facing who they are now. Well, they're facing who they are now. You have to know. Try, you have to be reading stuff. the recent right. books, right? Well, then I'm saying it's still kind of still convoluted. And then I came in after not years of not reading it and going, 
Oh, X-Men, you know, Iceman's with, with Kitty? When the heck did that happen? What happened to... Did Peter die again? I Does lost track. Still you have, have to realize that there is a whole, a whole bunch of magazines that are, that are continuing the storyline all along. I mean... The, uh, the no, no, I understand that, but I'm saying there's 12 books to read to yeah. to get the slightest understanding of the interrelationship between two characters that show up for three panels. I, I wouldn't. Uh, yes, I will give you. If and you're that's read the problem with X Men. If you're going to read X Men, that has always been my. You problem always with get X-Men. a richer experience of reading all the books. And that's always been my problem. That's why I stopped buying it after yeah. they expanded beyond. Wolverine is a solo title. I'm you, so you I'm so old. You don't not have, only do I remember when there were just two X titles. I remember when you. I remember Patch. when there was one, just no, here's one. What, I have another question. And we liked it. Wolverine, we can all agree, is a very popular character. Yes. How come his solo title can never survive long enough? Oh, it survives. It should be on issue three or four hundred right now. No, no he's, they, they, they keep, keep on rebooting it. Starting it yeah. I know, obviously they. He's got three solo titles right now. He's got Savage Wolverine. Yeah, and he's got. I know, but they're Wolver- all just going to be canceled like every other. No, because this they is don't a, get canceled. Well, they'll call. Well, he has they three months r- to live. He has yeah. three months to die, so he'll right. be canceled for a while. But um, the reason being, uh, I, well, we're going to get to this in the Marvel and again in the movie thing, but. But you know there is a there was for a long time a theory at Marvel that and I think it bears it, it's probably true to some extent that you put a number one and yeah. it sells that's yeah. why there's a that's why they did the Marvel now right but let's okay so let's say this around the time like when I first started collecting comics was about the time Wolverine number fifty was about to be released uh-huh and Wolverine was pretty popular back then can we agree on that yes he was. So he first appeared in Incredible Hulk 181. Yeah. Right? So by that math, when I first started collecting comics, was around Incredible Hulk 372. There should have been at least 200 issues of Wolverine. However, there were only 50 and a miniseries. He'd started later. They did the miniseries. It was years before they started the spinoff. Right. So. Right. Yeah, and when they spun him off, they spun him off hard. They put him on an island in the Pacific. Magnapore. They, yes. they make they gave him Patch, the his separate identity. Yeah, the, a whole new who supporting teamed up cast. with Mister Mister Fixit. But here's what I say. Yes, that was my yep. favorite. Wolverine Schmolverine. <laughs> okay, good. What's in your bag? <laughs> okay, my next one is Batman Eternal, which has been a real good series to begin with, but. See who's on the cover this week? Jiro, the ja- the Batman from Japan, oh, yeah. which is just I, I just like I just have to go squee. And you've got the 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 side, sidekick girl with uh, the wings yeah. and stuff. So yeah. uh, Batman Internal has been a, a nice run of a series uh, up to issue nine. Now. I think I found all my issues, so I'm going to put them in order and read them. You uh, should next just week. just sit down and read them all. I know. One I, after I have a few days actually next week, so you know there'll be some highly recommend. There'll be some time. I've got some projects to catch up on, but that's one of the things is the project to at least get that far. So I'm I, I have a feeling I'm going to snag one off off of Nate, but I just feel like I want to take top here go uh, ahead i did it to you it's true and and i and i did not <laughs> do it to nate before when i could have because i knew we were all going to love that big trouble batman 66 meets the oh, green see Hornet. you're not snagging this for me because i was actually if it came back to me and we hadn't said this yet i was going to say 
Can we all agree that there's a book in all of our bags right now? Yeah. See, you're that you're, I will not mention. And you're the Eric best. Or you're Rick the best human it. being out of all of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Batman sixty six meets the Green Hornet. Uh, Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith writing uh, a re team up, uh, a sequel to the f- to what? I don't even know really if in reality that original team up was any good. I, I do not have in. It my was as good as any of the Batman episodes, right? But as an adult, I've never seen it. It was it's only of, as a kid where I totally freaked out and loved that team up between Batman and Green Hornet. So I couldn't tell you. The one part I hate about that is the death trap between episodes. Yeah, they went into a printing press and they came out as printed versions of themselves. themselves. Yes, which was but goofy. When I was a child, I loved when they broke free of it. Yeah, you know, it was beautiful. So um, this is a great. And, and the thing is, what I like the best of Batman 66 as, as a comic book has been that you still, you treat it as, um, there's, it's, there's a lot of humor to it, there's a lot of silliness, and yet, at its core, it still respects who Batman would be yeah, as a character. So like in here, and I, and oh, yeah. I, and I don't think you got to read this yet, No, but there's a moment, and, and I know this is Garmin, because Ralph Garmin is this huge... It, he is I was going to gush on him in he a second. Is the, he is the biggest Batman fan in the world. Yeah. There is no doubt. And and what I'd say is they came up with this really great reason, while even though General Gum, the sequel character to Colonel Gum, does not look like Colonel Gum in any way, shape, or form, there actually is fantastic logic as to how they identify him as their enemy. Okay. And in a way that the TV show would never have been that logical. So it's like, what I'm saying is that they've got, like, they actually really have the deductive reasoning that the TV show would sometimes gloss over or Not make the fun of. great leaps of logic that the TV right. show would do. Right. And I thought, wow, you sons of guns. You snuck in who Batman really is as a character while at the same time being, this is fun. This is so what the TV show was. And just loving that, loving the artwork, I have no complaints about this book at all. This is my favorite of the week so far. You know, I have even in a week with big trouble. I have to ask you guys about it, Ralph I have Garman, to agree. because I had not—I'd really—he had not been on my radar at all until I listened to a couple of uh, live podcast shows that he and Hollywood Kevin Smith Babylon, yeah. yeah. And has he ever written anything with Smith before? Nope. So, but Smith has a habitual problem of being late. Right, but so if you've listened to the Hollywood Babylons when they announced it, what it was was that uh, the DC went, when they knew they were going to do this Dynamite crossover, and Dynamite had relaunched Green Hornet using Kevin Smith's screenplay that wasn't used. Yeah. So DC kind of said, well, we have a relationship with Kevin Smith. Let's see if he'll write it. And Kevin Smith said, I'm not the guy who should write it. My friend Ralph Garman knows that TV series inside and out, and he's implied on the podcast as well that he is, his commentary will be all over the box set of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so says, my friend Ralph Garman should write it. And they said, well, can he write? And he goes, he can write this. So Kevin Smith may or may not have anything to do with the actual writing, but his name's on it so that DC would allow... Ralph Garman, Garman to do it to do it because he's not known outside of the Smodcast or LA. He's a uh, he's the cu- he's the j- joke man, the voiceover the funny guy. guy on he's Kevin, on but the he's Kevin brilliant. He's an on the Kevin about things. Yes, and he's he's also got you know he's got a couple of really funny bits in a million ways to die in the West, and he was in a brief thing. Oh, I didn't Ted. know he was in that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's 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 friends with a lot of celebrities in L.A. because of the Kevin and Bean show, but he hasn't really broken out on a national level, okay. even though he's been an actor push you know kicking around Hollywood for thirty years. So um, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I I loved this book. I I, I cannot gush enough about. And I think it was available digitally a couple of weeks ago, but I don't buy those yeah. when I know uh-huh. it's going to be in print. And I, I can't, I, I can't stress enough how really good and satisfying this book was. So, and yeah. I could not agree more. Thank you. And the cover by Alex Ross is awesome. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, is that all the bags? I've got one more. One more for Rick. Nate, did you have three? Yeah, there's one more each, I believe. Okay. Oh, Derek. Go to Nate. Go to Nate. Didn't I? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nate. Go. Original Sin, number three of eight. That was almost one of my picks. Answers at all costs. Uh, this is one I actually took the opportunity of a late start to read. Okay. And... This is Bucky, Moon Knight, and Gamora. On the cover. Bucky, Moon Knight, and Gamora are on the cover. These weird sub-teams. Moon Knight on the moon. We follow uh, what they're doing a little bit. There's a huge twist. And, of course, it's only issue three, so obviously the huge twist is going to be a fake in some way. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and the last few pages are... I mean, it might even be the very last page is a huge shocker. Uh, and still we know none of the secrets that have gotten out. That <laughs> well, we're exploring what we don't sense. know right now, right? It's been, it's kind of like well, exploring the everybody area. knows. So all the secrets were released in the last issue, I believe, right? Yeah, there was some about that. Yeah. yeah. So everybody knows all these darkest secret sin things, whatever original sin things that happened to them. Yeah. But... Nobody has revealed any of that yet. So for a whole issue, we're still looking for the killer. And it's like, oh, how come so-and-so disappeared? Oh, because they found out something terrible. I wonder what it was. Yeah, you know, I think I the one thing I enjoyed about Original Sin is that concept of the mindless ones suddenly having minds. Yeah, and wanting not to have minds. And wanting to not have minds. It was like, that's a really cool way of flipping those characters. Please put me back into oblivion. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice philosophical argument going on in there. So, Did you figure out who was under the hood? Oh, is, is ahead the, of time? It's the. No, I mean, the before thing. the reveal. No, because I, I just really hadn't paid enough attention to Did it. You really, I don't even know who I that character the was. The, the, the orb, the. Um, oh, yeah, no, I know who he was from the Defenders. From I the think. Defenders, from the Headsman. Yeah, the Headsman, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, once they revealed it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. but I, I didn't. I had kind of figured it. He's a lame villain. I mean, that's one of those things. Is he? They has kept been his a, costume from the previous. He has one, been. He has been one of those joke characters. Yeah. For you know, oh, the heads long forever. The heads yeah. were all all kind of joke characters. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Yep. All right. Are you finding Nate that um, that this book is readable just from the standpoint of the the individual, not the tie-ins, but just the original sin books? Yeah, I'm only, I'm only reading this book. Yeah, so, so far, I've only read the, read this. I haven't read any. Other. I've read some of the other ones, but I think I think that this is actually well written and has enough characters and plot development going on in the core book that this is a this is a good one where you could just pick up the eight issues. 
And you know, a very different tone from that original Sin number zero, you know, which Mark Wade wrote as a solo yeah. as a solo we were talking about. Oh, we're probably not going to enjoy original Sin as much. They're just very different. Yeah. They're just very different. This yeah. is a good adventure, but it's much darker, whereas original Sin number zero belied its title and was actually kind of like, oh, this is a book about hope. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I am a- happy to say that I am enjoying it much more than I thought I would. Okay, good. good. I'll take that. Rick? So my next, my last one is not necessarily a floppy, but I picked this up this week uh, because we had talked about it last week. Yeah, and um, the Jack Cats First Kingdom Volume One. Um, I love, I love this series. I'm, I'm flashing back on reading the original ones. I'm, I'm going to go straight through the whole epic uh, storyline again. It's, it's a post nuclear destruction of the earth mankind crawls back through kind of like a caveman societal thing but there are also these mutants and then there are these godlike characters who influence the humanity in a way that the original pantheons uh, Norse or Greek or you know anybody would influence their heroes you have a, a goddess who's in love with the hero but realizes that he has a pure love for his wife and or his paramate or whatever, and the artwork. Just pick any panel no, in that I was book. Looking at this. Jack Katz, so much detail. I don't think Jack Katz did anything else, did he? I mean, um, yeah, he, he. I believe that he worked on other books. Oh, but here's his Zangar. So yeah. he had done some stuff like for Charlton and Harvey. Yeah, and there's a nice little, uh, nice little story at the beginning about the beginning of the book, and I expect that each volume will have a. Uh, a similar. We can hope, but this was an epic masterpiece. I'm looking at this and just going. This is the kind of line work, uh, you know. If more people were doing this, this would this would bring black and white back. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, would be, it would actually be a detraction from the art oh, if yeah, this was yeah, colored. Yeah. Oh yeah. And originally, I was thinking, you know, they've got this color colorized cover with one character who's in color and everything else is black and white. But the line work in it, the hatching, and and the yeah. intricacy of the of the smallest little details where you see, like in this one, there's a little character sitting behind the hero. Who is actually somebody who's been in the book since page one, but he just shows he's just hanging around. He's always in, in he follows very the detailed work. Amazing story, amazing story. Very line. detailed work and a, and, a, and a creator who's you know who's mainstream, um, uh, whose awareness in the mainstream has fallen uh, because he, I guess he passed away fairly recently, and uh, to see this coming together for those who you know would see these volumes in the seventies. Yeah. This is really exciting to see. 200-page hardback, uh, $25, suggested retail. You can get it for a lot less. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so. And probably on the Amazon link. Probably on the Amazon link that uh, will appear on the, this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, run. Run to the Facebook, uh, the Family Planet page. And the first three volumes are out right now. The last three will be published this year. I actually think I had all the links. I think I put all the links on the, last the one? Bacon one. Okay. But I'll repeat them. I mean, you know, you're listening to this podcast. You know, well, if they're there, I usually take the last one and edit, uh, copy it, and edit it forward. So I'll just okay. leave them there. Okay. Um, so, uh, just to grab because I, I've been really enjoying what they've done with this season ten of Angel and Faith. This artist, Will Conrad, I think is the the one who's impressed me the most. Where it really does look like like versions of the of actors. The actors. The likenesses are incredible. The so story who's that on is the fun. cover? Uh, this is a, a, a new character. Oh. I can't remember the name of the, of the fairy uh, villain. But, but the storyline has been, of course, that in season eight, they had destroyed magic. Nine right. was about trying to restore it. 
And then 10 is about, it's come back, but because it's all so new, the rules are actually being written as they go. Oh, that's and an so, interesting idea. And it is an interesting idea because then they're freaking out. Like, why are the vampires, why they brought in Nicholas Brendan, came in and wrote that episode with the issue with Dracula. Why did they have to bring back Dracula? Because suddenly they discover all these vampires are, are duplicating the abilities of Dracula when in the old world only Dracula could do what he could do. And so there's like, how is this? And we have this book of, and they have a book of the Grimmery of like, what are the rules? And the pages are blank, and then they see words going in as they're, as they're fighting. Interesting. And going like, so yeah, because basically willpower is rewriting what can be done. And so if a vampire wants a certain thing, it'll show up as an ability. So, you know, they're terrified. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's really kind of a fun take. And if you were reading the, uh, the uh, watching the, you know, watch the series and haven't. Um, uh, so it's the moving finger rights and having writ moves yeah. on. And not all your piety nor wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line nor all your tears wash out a word of it. There you go. Ruby out of Volmar Kayam. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh, so, uh, Spy, uh, Angel and Faith, and there's going to be a Spike, uh, a little season 10 Spike miniseries too. Oh, cool. And I just think these have been so consistently high quality, yeah. it, it impresses the heck out of me. So it's worth mentioning. Let's move on to movies because we, we've alluded a couple of times to this, this movie madness, this rumor, the, this conspiracy that Bleeding Cool picked up last week. And the story gets complex, and I see evidence that I say, yeah, that's validation, invalidation. Validation and invalidation. And so uh, what it is is that the story came out, was broken, that, uh, that it was rumored that Marvel was going to take away Fantastic Four as a title Put it on and stop, stop publishing Fantastic Four while Fox would be an active development of their version of Fantastic Four and there'd be no support. And at one time they were saying it was because Fantastic Four isn't selling that well, which was then denied, and then... Well, it does sell about 38,000. I looked up the stats. So yeah. it's about 38,000 uh, 38, uh, issues, uh, copies a month. And I don't know what the ultimate FF book sells, but I, I don't know that necessarily people outside of the industry know that difference or that that is, because it's not... Yeah. I think the only character that's in common is the, is the Invisible Woman in the Ultimate Universe. Right. Uh, yeah, well, uh, what's his name? Reed Richards is back. Yeah, but is he good? Because he was evil for a while. In the he was evil for yeah, a long time. He's, they had him, uh, like they released him from the prison he was in to help with the uh, Cataclysm event. Oh, okay, okay. And he came, they like came over to this Earth, or whatever, Earth 616, and he saw Earth 616 Reed Richards like, living this life that he always dreamed of uh-huh and he thought oh there's things i could have done differently and had everything i ever wanted so yeah. then he's still teetering on the edge basically of whether or not yeah basically everybody hates him obviously for yeah. everything yeah, yeah. he did but he feels like he's had some sort of breakthrough like he can change okay so i mean that's what's going on but they're the same they take it away because uh, you know they're approaching their 75th anniversary, and they're saying you know that Marvel's not going to make any. I guess you'd say they don't have a great relationship with Fox. Right. This has been or no is secret. Is it Marvel or Disney? 
It's Marvel. Okay. It's Marvel Studios in specific. And I think about this and I go, you know, I don't know. So Legitimately so. Legitimately so, right. Because, you know, they got Daredevil back, but they really want Fantastic Four back. They know they do. Right. And I guess th- there may have been an attempt to make some negotiation to say, okay, you're doing okay with the X franchise, but we'd really like the Fantastic Four back. I, d- I don't know. Somewhere along the line, there is marked bad blood between, between, them, between the two groups. Um, and so, of course, you poo-poo this, that they're not going to cancel Fantastic Four. This is the, sto- the book that started the Marvel Age. You're approaching right. the 75th anniversary. And Tom Brevoort said, anybody who understands the business knows this would be a very crazy thing to do. But there's nothing I can say that will convince you. So it wasn't really... He's not the denying it. S- it was not the strong denial. And then an artist released that they've been given model sheets and instructions for, like, trading cards. Right. And instructed they're not supposed to draw any Fantastic Four characters. One of the of the problems with the contract... This would just be into, like, incidental artwork. That yeah. yeah. Well, for, like, trading well, cards. Right, you, know, right. you can't do trading cards. You can't do, you do a poster. You do a poster. No. This, so... Right. So, uh, you know, this is one of the things that the contract with, with Fox would say that basically any new character created in the pages of Fantastic Four immediately goes to Fox. They have the rights to use any. So they've been instructed not to control, not to create any new characters. Is that, is that part of their ongoing? In, in the wow. pages. It's the same thing. The deal happened with before Warner Brothers got it all back with Swamp Thing. Which is why the return of Swamp Thing can use Alan Moore, used Alan Moore concepts, even uh-huh. though that was a long later. But that's so, not the same as in X Men. The X Men contract with well, X Men managed to pull in Apocalypse and uh, has managed to pull in everything else. No, it's the same. It's a it's very bad deal. And I they, thought it was like through the issues at the time of the I writing. Threw, I thought it was up through a hundred, but apparently not. And ah. it's and, and so it's in perpetuity until they get the right, give the rights back. I don't think they would sign. I don't think they were signing those kinds of contracts in the 90s, but you have to remember the Fantastic Four contract right. was back in the 80s. It was like a fire sale, yeah. and I think the X-Men was too. So here's my thing is Ike Perlmutter, who is the majority stockholder in Marvel, made a billion or so off of the sale of Marvel to Disney, and he's one of the majority stockholders in Disney now as a result, is a very hardball player. And as crazy as it may seem to not do it, to, to not publish Fantastic Four during the 70th anniversary to stick it to a movie studio, even though the impact might be negligible on the movie studio's aspect, it does seem like the kind of thing he would do. That was where I'd gotten the Disney part of it. Yeah, but, but remember that Ike Perlmutter is, he's Marvel. Uh, but he gets, and, and apparently there's, there's tension at Disney because they too, um, Rob, Bob Iger and Ike Perlmutter don't particularly get along. Uh-huh. And Ike Perlmutter is infamously penny pinching. That's why you don't re- you don't reprint the trade paperbacks at Marvel because that would be an expense. You might have you don't keep back stock in your own warehouse. You know he's it, it's almost like not, it's never enough. Yeah. There's never enough money for Marvel, right? Even though they're insanely successful. Now Rob Liefeld of all people posted something that convinced me that it is possible. Was pointed out, and I hadn't noticed this, is that in all this X Men Days of Future Past. Probably the most colorful, accessible version of X-Men it's ever been. There are no toys. There is no licensing, which Marvel still controls the toy licensing of the movies. Wow. You're right. And so that tells me that's something weird. And that's one where they actually could, uh, with the new Quicksilver and some of the new takes on the uh, uh, you know, Bishop. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what I mean. They're arguably the most colorful. There's a lot of characters. Yeah. And that actually... 
the last time, so when The Wolverine came out, some of the characters that appeared in The Wolverine, the comic book versions of them showed up in the Marvel Legends line, but there were no action figures for that either. Right. There were only action figures for X-Men Origins Wolverine, and that's been years. Now, the flip side is, and we put a positive spin, Marvel actually has a pretty good relationship with Sony, and so there's a lot of rumor now that Sony's kind of, one of the reasons Sony's hitting so hard on the Spider-Man universe is it's the only franchise they have that's making any money. Right. So Sony is apparently interested, uh, or rumored to be interested, in getting rid of their movie-making arm, in which case it is possible that Rick can, before he dies, see Spider-Man in, in the, the Avengers. Avengers. And and but but regardless, hurry up! There's not a lot of time. Regardless, there. thanks to a lawsuit about a decade ago, Marvel and Sony just have a generally better relationship. Yeah. So it would be interesting. We'll see what happens with the 75th. But it fell on the you know the heels of oh Edgar Wright left Ant Man. We didn't really get to talk about it that much. But I mean it is what it is. Uh, any one of us sitting at this table or at a microphone for this uh, is totally totally willing to direct Ant Man because they still haven't really solved who it's going to be. But uh, you know, correct? So are we are we putting uh, are we putting this whole thing under too much of a magnifying glass, as we, opposed to other films, other big films that get made and have directorial changes and have this type of stuff happen? I mean, not obviously the Fantastic Four is not not well, part of see, this issue. Well, see, again, but the director thing for but but let me put it. I mean, no, the thing is, if you're a fan of Edgar Wright, right? Who, admittedly, let's also put this. I'll put it in perspective here. Not a single film that Edgar Wright has ever made has made over a hundred million dollars in its first re- in its release. Uh-huh. Now it might have recouped costs and been pretty successful on home video, but never in the cinemas. Okay, but for fans of Edgar Wright, who before there was an Iron Man, knew that Edgar Wright was working on on Ant Man. He's been working on it since two thousand. I was corrected. I thought it was two thousand six, two thousand four. He'd been working wow. on that film. For 10 years. years. Okay. And in fact, Marvel actually pushed back what they wanted to be the start date of filming so that he could finish at World's the World's End. Uh-huh. Okay, at World's End, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> the World's End. The Cornetto. The uh, Cornetto. So, movie. so he could finish the Cornetto trilogy. So clearly at one point there was respect. Now, if you want to look at it from a studio's perspective, they, they can't or can they afford to release a movie a superhero movie a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that makes under 100 million dollars because that's going to be the bomb right Marvel is now in that really awkward position right. that Pixar is in what's going to happen the first time they make a bad movie what happens to their stock yeah, yeah. And, and they're in a very, very difficult position. So right. I have come to understand it, to become more sanguine about it, but I'm disappointed on an artistic point sure. of view. The Ant-Man movie that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish made would have been very fun and quirky and different, but not for everybody's taste. It's, a, it's an interesting problem because you look at it from the standpoint of actors who do big films, and they, you know, they do like a, a yeah. two or three big films, and then they do like a little art house movie. You know, and they it's just they want to get they want to get their feet into a different type of film. But the truth of the matter but, is, the, the narrative in Hollywood studios right, can't do that. The narrative in Hollywood right now about Johnny Depp is he can no longer open a movie because yeah. he had uh, that that computer one that was just out. Oh, um, ex- existence? No, no. no, trans. I don't know. Transcendence? Maybe transcendence. I think um, Lone Ranger, something else. 
But I would argue Dark back, Shadows. Dark Shadows. But the problem is, look, actually, nobody... He's never been the one to open the movie. People went to Pirates of the Caribbean. People because forget. Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. The, the stars of that were Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. Right. And... John, and, but it turned out people liked Jack Sparrow. That didn't mean people liked Johnny Depp. Willy Wonka kind of, you know, was there. Um, was Willy Wonka a success in the first run? Nah, not as much as I, people would like to remember. In, yeah. But it, but it was just like, oh, it was quirky, and it did. It probably did better than it would have because they thought it was a quirky performance. And and Alice in Wonderland did extremely well. And the Mad Hatter was a minor character in there, but they really pushed Johnny Depp right. and his weird characterization. But the thing is, Johnny but Depp hasn't... Again, s- what? It's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, again. It's a known commodity. Right. And Dark Shadows really wasn't, and, it, and he wasn't very strong in it. No, and, and it had a bad script. And he's always been just kind of a weird, quirky little actor. And then, But because he was in some blockbusters, then the narrative became, he's this huge movie star. But he's never stopped being who he is. So the same thing is, you know, with... You know, but actors will always that. be the kid that gets sucked into the bed in Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, but can <laughs> directors do that and take those little side side trips? It's or can a studio, can a franchise afford to take a side trip? A franchise can't, and it's not an Ant Man. A director franchise. can, yeah, but a, but a franchise can't. An Ant Man isn't a, isn't in and of itself a franchise. Right, it's part of a now a larger one. The argument back is irony. Disney is doing Big Hero Six. Which in the comics is set firmly in the Marvel universe, right. universe, but easily removable, right? And and that's what's happening. It's an animated film set in a completely alternate universe that has nothing to do with the rest of Marvel. But the flip side is even less so than Guardians of the Galaxy. No one's heard of Big Hero Six, right? And even the characters in Marvel, nobody ever makes reference to it in any of their books, right? So that's a safe project to take out. Yeah. The weird thing, Drew Goddard withdrew from directing, from show running the Netflix Daredevil series on the same day that Edgar Wright quit. But uh, the but it was actually you know it's more likely because he's it, it's it's the schedule is going to back up against Sinister Six, which he's writing and directing for Sony. And Marvel did say the first two episodes of Daredevil are still actually the ones written by uh, by Drew Goddard, so there's no bad blood. But now I do love as much as. As much as I'm accepting that someone's going to move on, Adam McKay was dancing around Ant-Man, I did love Edgar Wright's tweet, the photograph of Buster Keaton holding a Cornetto, which he then withdrew, but to say, like, yes, you really have to be into film to understand right. why that was right. a, an ad, you know, a statement. And he thought better of it because, obviously, it, you know, it's a stronger F.U. than he really wanted to have. But, uh, but I understand it. So it was interesting, you know, sad there. Um, but Marvel keeps moving because we released, announced last week, Josh Brolin has been cast. Surprise. Uh, uh, you know, replacing Damien Poitier uh, from, uh, from Poitier. Is he Poitier? Is he relation I to I think Sydney? that's why I've heard it pronounced. No relation, but yeah. That's weird. Poitier. Okay, Damien uh, Poitier. Uh, was Thanos in the first Avengers yeah, 15, movie? But he, Fifteen seconds of Thanos. It was really just a smile and a glint in his eye yeah. and a lot of CG, and we understand that. Josh Brolin's taking over the role for Guardians of the Galaxy, and we'll assume from here on out. So, uh, and what I thought was just surprisingly clever about it was they, and then this like this little article came out just like an hour after that announcement. Oh, and by the way, 
he's already finished filming his role. He's been doing it for quite some time. We just didn't ever told you. So we don't know how big or how small. What a big what how is it a big lie? Is it a big feint? We don't know. But Josh Brolin will be Thanos. That means Jonah Hex in space. And I like to think of him more along the lines of the Men in Black. Where Ooh, okay. Because he was channeling, um, what's his name, when he was playing uh, the and, younger And what version. did you say his name was, uh, Nate, in Goonies? Brand. Brand, yes, Brand. So Brand, Brandon. Brandon, yes. Okay, so Brand. Um, and then uh, Marvel also announced that they, uh, an- before announcing a film, announced a director. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to announce for a the film. film. <laughs> That Scott Derrickson, who has uh, directed a couple films we didn't like, uh, the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, yeah, uh, and a couple of horror films, and uh, not as above, so kind of below. Low, low, bu- low budget horror. Deliver Us from Evil, that which is it. coming this, this summer, yeah. uh, is going to direct Doctor Strange. And apparently he's a very religious man and making sure that um, if there are any arcane symbols, they can't be real ones because he doesn't want to accidentally actually do evil. But he has confirmed that he will be directing Doctor Strange and the rumor broke today and I say only rumor, please no wagering, that now Marvel is asking, is looking at Jared Leto to play Doctor Strange who was mentioned in Captain America the Winter Soldier so, you know, they've got a plan for him so we shall see what happens there. Um, before we get to actually talk about movies we've seen, uh, we should also mention that yesterday was announced two women being cast in Star Wars 7, uh, or two days ago, rather, Lupita Nyong'o, who had been rumored about a month ago that they yeah. were going to you know, increase diversity, and Gwendolyn Christie, in, uh, uh, she was in 12 Years of Slave. She won the yeah. Oscar. It's a good grab for her, no question. Yep. I don't know if it's gonna if anything could race episode seven's profile. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's just like you could ca- you could put Jar Jar back in, and people go, "Oh, Jar Jar's in it," and then a minute later forget, you know, because yeah. they're so excited about they want to see episode seven. But she's in there, and Gwendolyn Christie, who's on Game of Thrones, Lady Brienne, Brienne, Lady Gaga, no, no. Lady Brienne on Game of Thrones, fantastic, no. fantastic actress. Who's going to look very different from Lady Brienne? But so will still be six foot four, you know. And I, again, not having watched this week's episode, but just to talk about her as an actress in general, that is an unforgiving role. You know, I no, mean, they, it, it is not glamorous at all. And for that to be her first international exposure, that was brave. That and that is a and that is so well acted. That is, she is so spot on the character in the yeah. book. And it's so wonderful. I, I'm just, I'm just saying in general what I've seen of the casting. The weakest links in the Star Wars Episode Seven cast are the original. Are going to be the original cast members, yeah. And it's kind of sad, but but it's true. Because um, even my daughter said over the weekend, she's just like, "Carrie Fisher's in it, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Doesn't she just kind of sound like she's done a lot of drugs?" <laughs> I'm like, when my daughter's aware of it, like you know, when Kate, when Princess Leia is gonna walk on talking like this, hey, hey, hey. You know, I'm sure they're doing other things to worry about that. But uh, they can modulate her voice. They can, they can. Um, and then uh, Rick pointed out they've been like leaking a little. I like this note from Rick. I guess this is going to be a thing for the next year or so. You think yeah. leaking photos? Leaking I don't want to see. I don't want to see anything. I did just want to see, see Star Wars the, Episode uh, Seven. No, I didn't. I don't want to see it. Did you see the no. J.J. Abrams note? Which the clapboard? No. So people had been tweeting the leaked images and whatnot and saying, oh, Millennium Falcon's going to be in the movie. 
and he posted a note that said, you know, I don't like people sending out all these pictures and oh, good for him. I can ass- and I can assure you that the Millennium Falcon's not going to be in Star Wars 7, but then the note is on the uh, hollow chessboard that's in the Millennium Falcon. Like right. It's, it's what a jerk. Like posted <laughs> on the corner of it. If I may say, brilliant. J.J. Abrams, you magnificent bastard. That's beautiful. I didn't see that. That's fantastic. And the other thing in the Star Wars universe is that they announced in the last week, and one just today, uh, that Gareth Edwards, who directed Godzilla, will be directing one of the Star Wars solo spin-off films okay. between yeah. episode 7 and 8. And now Josh Trank is going to direct another. And I feel like this is severely premature. Didn't they announce uh, a young Han Solo actor? Yeah. No, they didn't announce an actor. But there have been a lot of rumors. A lot of rumored yeah. people. But, 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 I mean, I think this is just premature, not in a sense of what the solo spinoffs. Yes, of course they should develop these solo spinoff films. But these directors who, like Josh Trank, he's directed one film that still most people haven't seen. Found footage, allegedly clever. Max Landis wrote it. Maybe that was the strength. I don't know. He's going to direct the Fantastic Four reboot that no one wants to see. Right. So this guy's very untried, but because he's in a, I feel this is like studio meddling at its worst. Of well, people keep talking. I, I, let's go on to, yeah. on to, on yeah. to Twitter media. and see who's who's trending. Well, Josh Trank not noticing why. Gareth Edwards not noticing why. Now, I think I'm supposed to look up. Netflix may have Monsters on it, which is. The movie Gareth Edwards first directed. Okay. And some friends of mine have told me that, uh, not that you two aren't my friends, but, you know, other friends, I do have a few, uh, have told me that Monsters was actually pretty good. Um, but I haven't seen that or Chronicle. But to trust, uh, you know, a franchise to which to me needs to be at least very visually. I or saw m- Chronicle. Or maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe I'm just. fine. Because I think of, like, you know, Harry Potter. Everybody loved Harry Potter, but to me, the only inventive one, truly inventive art movie what, you know, or film out of the Harry Potter series was Alfonso Cuarón's, hmm. The uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Although, by, by the last one, by Deathly Hallows, I think D- David Yates had really started to break free from feeling like he had to translate the books just as religiously as he could. I started seeing style there. So, you know, and I don't know. And then I go and back to Marvel. Who would have thought the two directors from Community would turn out the best Marvel movie with the Winter Soldier? Yeah. You know, it was tremendously tonally different. So I guess what I'm concluding, concluding out loud here is nobody knows anything. William Goldman was right. Let's see what happens. Speaking of, so you saw Maleficent. The problem is yes. we do know he's starting with a terrible story. Who is? Josh oh, oh, Josh Trank. Will that be his fault? I don't know. Yes, because he probably should have controlled that. We'll see. It could be a very well-directed film. It could be, but, but a terribly written. So let's talk about movies that did come out. Yep. Um, and and I, I just want to get through to the uh, toy thing, so it may sure, sure, sure. in your eyes thing. But Does Maleficent, one of them have to do with a large did, number of ways to die in the yes, West? Yes, yes. Oh, good. Am I the only one who saw Maleficent? You were the only one who saw Maleficent. Okay, so uh, you've probably seen the commercial. One of the nice things about the commercial is it doesn't give away the whole film. And I saw the California Adventure preview in It's Tough to Be a Bug. Okay. They showed 15, 15 minutes of Maleficent uh, every 40 minutes at California Adventure for the past three, four weeks. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, beautiful film. Uh, I don't know. We did, we saw it in 2D. Uh, I, we want to go back. Debbie and I saw it. And she's yeah. a big Sleeping Beauty fan. Always has been. 
gee, I haven't noticed you all, haven't the, noticed all, all the, the Sleeping Beauty. I, I'm <laughs> speaking facetiously and not sarcastic. I, you know, and it's I, really where we where we both uh, learn to appreciate Edmund Evans Earl. Earl, yeah, Earl. Um, but anyway, the 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 storyline is it moves right in the action very quickly. Uh, the characters are with 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 one exception. The characters are all very well rounded and very believable. the the stories the stories the histories of the characters um, doesn't doesn't totally invalidate the the story that we've all seen in the mm-hmm. animated version. But it's more like this is a story that then could have become the myth that the animated version was based Which on. Which I see. I I was with the little that I saw, you know, they showed the throne room scene and the blessing. Uh-huh. And uh I was a little bummed that the fairies had different names. Yeah. And, yeah. and but I thought, okay, I get it, it's a little twee for a modern audience now to have that. But um the the fairy the fairy effects were pretty good. The the And uh, and I, I you know, so I only seeing some as I felt from from I, and I do intend to see it, but um, what I saw, I felt I was going to be able to predict the story, yeah, and where it was going and what the turns were, and so I will be intrigued, and I don't want because I don't want to spoil at all be, for myself or you know or get into a fight yeah. about it because I, I truly don't know. Um, I'll be interested to see if I'm right about I- what I called on it. I figured out the twist that they eventually exposed in the last part of the movie early in the movie okay. just because I thought about it from the standpoint of a filmmaker who's trying to who's trying to do a turn on this story um, but that even know even having figured that out and just feeling very smug about it mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed the film all the way through uh, the one character the character is not saying too much the character who is the king um, I thought was a, a, of of the bunch, he's probably the weakest. The weakest developed. Of, of I felt he was the worst actor in what I saw. Yeah, that's that's probably and, true and, and that's you know like I really felt like oh the queen you know every character gripped me in what I, of course, right and I do enjoy seeing these little park previews because it was, you know it's tough to be bug you saw it if you know it's the underground cavern so it felt like it was actually appropriate <laughs> to be you know seeing earth earth walls and so forth um, they they. Yeah, they framed it well. For right, us. right, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. I, I want to see it. We just didn't have time. My my kids had a but had again a tournament. You, you've got the Maleficent character. You've got the Briar Rose character. I think they're magnificent, and they're going to play an Infinity Two and really well. And yeah, uh, and it's it is really revitalizing Disney, who has had a lot to do with the princessification of mm-hmm. females. And now they're starting to turn that around and to take one of the older properties from that and, and turn it well, on its head as well. To, it'll be it's interesting to good. see what uh, Brana does with the Cinderella. It'd be, what, I'm, what I'm curious about is wh- what effect will this have on the Briar Rose Sleeping Beauty in the park? Will they have two versions of her now, one who's more like the uh, animated and the one that's more like the, uh, the movie? Let's, let's ask the real question, Rick. Yes. What effect is it going to have on Maleficent fetishists? Oh, they're just going to... I mean, come on. That one goes way back to... <laughs> Man. Oh, yeah. We're going to be happy. Oops, I've outed myself. There you go. Who's uh, we? Ah! <laughs> I mean, they. They. Not we. They. Uh, 
But how about A Million Ways to Die in the West? Nate, you saw it. I saw it. Did Rick see it? I did not see it. Okay, I want to just preface this to say because it, it's noteworthy that I had a rare evening out with Jason Salazar. <laughs> <laughs> did it go past midnight? Friend of the program. No, no. We were, we were, we were filming uh, huge hamsters eating right. huge burritos, and we got done, and... Uh, he and Drew wanted to go see Men Day, Ways to Die in the West. And Sydney, I didn't catch that they were. I was cleaning up and Sydney whined that, you know, I want to go. And I said, well, what? And he said, we can't take you. You know, it's rated R. And I said, oh, what are you seeing? And so he said, Men Day, Ways to Die in the West. I went, well, I want to go. <laughs> so uh, I went with him. And, uh, I, yes, uh, I think Nate w- and Drew and Jason, all the people that I, that I know saw it, liked it better than I did. But I'll, So I, I will let Nate rave the most right now. There you go. Well, I want to hear your review first, because then I want to respond to your... <laughs> oh, damn it! Uh, I'm trying not to get into fights. Okay, uh, no, the the reality is I thought there were many things in it that were funny. I, I laughed at a lot. Um, but again, one of my feelings, like, uh, like my reaction to Godzilla, was it was not enough. There were too many tonal shifts. Like, there are moments that are very family guy-ish. Uh, and there's these non sequiturs, and there's a cameo that I guess has, was spoiled by the commercial, but luckily I forgot about it, so I was able to laugh when it happened and go, oh, yeah, that's right, I did see that, and I, it didn't bother me. Um, and so I thought it was, and, and I've thought about it today. Um, Seth MacFarlane's a better writer than this, where Ted left to me no real dangling threads. It might have been a little bloated. I, I liked Ted. Um, it might have been a bl- bloated, but there were no dangling threads, and yeah. there were there were there were no setups that went nowhere. Everything kind of completed to a lot, you know, reached a logical conclusion. And this one, he sets up a lot of ideas that they're there to be funny, and they don't really go anywhere. And uh, and another problem is, as funny as it is in places. In other places, it's actually a well-plotted Western and done fairly well seriously if you... Like, I thought that Liam Neeson was... I wanted him to be the villain in a serious Western. Like, he... He, he, that, he could do that. And, until, they, until they did external things to make fun of him, he was, it was a good, threatening, threatening villain. You know who he reminded me of in the commercial, at least, yeah. was Harrison Ford in Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I see which made me want to see Harrison Ford and, in a and, real and, and I wanted western. to see, and I would actually like to see Seth MacFarlane. I would have liked to have seen him try to do a straight western, except he had weird eye makeup, like he was too pretty. And that's the, and I think this is the flaw for Seth MacFarlane live action as a comedian is he is simultaneously good looking and could be a serious hero, um, but he also looks so damn much like Peter Brady. That you can't <laughs> stop. Well, he looks like a man at a time. His hairstyle is wrong. Yeah, he looks, and so and and, and so they he's were, got too close a shave. And they were playing with anachronisms, but that also went nowhere. And and that'll work on Family Guy because no one believes any moment of Family Guy. And in this, it kept kind of rippling back and forth. And there was some really sharp joke. Again, don't get me wrong. There are some really really sharp sharp jokes in there. Probably, and I hope I wouldn't get get in trouble with Jason for this. The funniest part for me, sitting next, to, <laughs> was sitting next to Jason, who's muttering every time. 
every time that Seth MacFarlane gets to kiss Charlize Theron, going a little too, a little too long, MacFarlane, a little too long. <laughs> so I guess that Charlize Theron is on his list. Wow, uh, and she's on mine. Uh, she's a very attractive woman, but uh, <laughs> but it like that was just funny. Um, but but there were some really great cameos that I had no idea were going to happen. Uh, Ralph Garman was very funny in it. He didn't have very much to do, but his jokes were that everything landed. Um, you know, but I, but I think it may be part of this. The production designer or the cinematographer did some of the actors no favors. Sarah Silverman, um, this is the first time she looked old, and she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous, and she did. And there were shots where I was like, I know that they're trying to make jokes about her and stuff, but they needed to treat her better. Yeah, and and she looked just remarkably older than Giovanni Rabisi who's playing her boyfriend and, and it was just like you know there were just things where there were choices that I don't know that that's Seth MacFarlane's problem and then with a movie like this it, it, it is hard not to compare it to Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles because Blazing Saddles I, I don't know why Blazing Saddles works so well in going back but there's never a moment in Blazing Saddles when it's serious it's never that serious for that long and this was too serious for too long my defense of Blazing Saddles is typically that is that it it is inclusive of just about everything you think of when you think about a western movie almost I, every I, every every meme every every note yeah. that's in that is in there somehow and it's been done so it's a hard yeah. I mean it's hard to make I mean because I've seen like Russell's Rustler's Rhapsody with Tom Berenger, you know, right. how to make fun of it. There have been films that have tried to do this, and it crops up every few years. I don't think it's a bad film. I don't think it's. I don't think it's deserving the bomb status that everybody's writing it off as now. No. This week, I think it may find a great with his fans in particular and their legion yeah. um, that it may find a, find a growing audience, but. I didn't love it, and I wanted to love it. But there were moments that I loved, and because I'm sure that Jason and Drew listening to this podcast will say, "I saw you. You, you know, <laughs> he almost hit the bar in front of you. You were laughing so hard." And there were there were moments that I really was, but it was just I, I think it was two different movies. One one thing about Seth MacFarlane, I think he has a lot of fans who don't know his name. That may be too. So I'm trying to get I'm trying to get them in a basis of Seth MacFarlane. Even when they do say things like, yeah. occasionally they'll say, of oh, Family Guy. And I'm going to say, I'm a Seth MacFarlane fan in a weird way of that I always want Seth MacFarlane to try harder. Because I've seen what he can do he's when he's absolutely at the top. Of, he is a genius. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm ne- I'll never give yeah. him anything less than that. He is a genius who goes for lazy jokes a lot. And, and 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 gets lazy. Sometimes he just wants to have a little fun, and and, and not not. And that's not okay. Yeah. And that's okay. But I understand when you've got to, when you're in the slot to be the big. Right. I mean, the best thing about a million days, <laughs> million ways to die in the West. It's finally the punchline to his Oscar hosting song. We saw your boobs. Because people were like, "Oh, Charlize Theron, he, she did not look happy." I'm like, "She's in the middle of filming this movie for him. They're friends. She totally got that." You know, she, you yeah. know, so I'm glad they finally got the, in the, I, I, when it comes on Blu-ray, I may buy it. I may still enjoy it and watch it. I just, I just That's didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I, I just didn't love it as much as I wanted to. So. Yeah. Was it, that in 3D or? No, I, well, I, it might have been, but I only saw it in 2D. You saw it in 2D. So. Okay. Nate. I thought it was hilarious. I went in with 
minimal expectations. I mean, I'd only seen maybe two or three previews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that I am a fan of Family Guy, but I'm not a Family Guy fan. I like Family Guy. I don't watch it with any regularity whatsoever. Uh, if nothing else is on and I'm flipping through the channels, I'll stop on Family Guy and maybe watch it until a commercial and maybe switch to something else. I haven't seen Ted. Oh, okay. Uh, I went... The week before it opened, they had one of those uh, free screenings down here. And me and my buddy went. We laughed throughout the entire movie. And that was really all I wanted to get out of it was a funny movie. Yeah, big belly laughs. And there are plenty of big belly laughs. I mean, it's not for kids, obviously. It's raunchy as hell. Uh... Sarah Silverman is doing her Sarah Silverman routine. Gilbert yeah. Gottfried does a little bit of his Gilbert Gottfried routine. Well, yeah, that was cameo was hiding. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, Gilbert Gottfried's not a big star that you need to hide no, from people. No, but was, Unlike, was, I thought it was that funny. was one it thing, was a funny bit. The uh, I was majorly disappointed in the uh, the spoiler from the preview. Uh huh. And I was like, really? They would? That's a huge cameo and they're spoiling that in a TV commercial and then seeing the movie I was still really disappointed that they had already shown it because if I had not seen that before I would have been like oh my god that was hilarious but there are three or four other cameos that you have no idea are coming and did you stay through the end credits Uh, no they I did I missed the very I didn't see the very end if there was a stinger at the end unfortunately I missed it there are two Oh, which crap. is another huge cameo. And Damn it, it I knew also, it. And they got up and they left and I was like, no, I need to talk to Jason. So I walked out. Oh, oh man, crud. you guys blew it. We sat there and stayed just for the hell of it, not knowing. I mean, it's a comedy, so usually you don't have a stinger unless it's like hangover and then I they kind of start it right now. away. Yeah, I normally do stay for everything, but yeah. I, I was actually surprised they didn't. So It the stinger on this was a huge star and it, I mean if I say too much more then you'll figure it out but oh it no, was, no no I did oh, see one um, was it involving the county fair yeah the county, I saw that one yes well then they they go back to that yeah no 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 I saw the I saw the stinger involving this, the huge star of the county fair no they do it twice uh oh no. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that might have changed my entire feeling about the movie. <laughs> the great thing after WonderCon, though, was that, uh, was, and, and it'll appreciate this, is, is that at the county fair, this guy who's the snake oil salesman is Mr. Belding from <laughs> yes. Saved by the Bell, and we just seen him at WonderCon because oh. he's working with Lion Forge Comics on the Saved by the Bell comics. So I was like, wait a minute, I actually know who that <laughs> I don't have to go to IMDb. I mean, it's loaded with like random people that is yeah. like, oh, that's clever. And, and then, but then that also becomes a little distracting in the film of like, you know, um, am I missing somebody I, in the corner out of the corner of my eye that I should? That's another be. thing that Mel Brooks did too. Well, and yeah. then there is that one cameo that you would almost miss because it's not. There's no lines yeah. in the bar. He doesn't say anything. He's just standing there, and it's like unless you know, oh, that's so and so. That's going to go right in front of you, and you're going to have no idea. You who have that, to text that. me who that is because I might have missed. Oh no, 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 
Jason said said somebody's name, and it was yeah no no line. And then somebody else had a line, and I was like, no, that's not you know yeah. So I mean, the focus goes away so fast in some of those. But you're right, Brooks did that. Yeah, and and now that makes me like it better. I like because that, it makes me want to watch it again. You know, and, but there are still storytelling problems that I will talk to Nate about and explain why that really actually bothered me. But you know, the storytelling. There's a scripting thing, and I and I'll, I I don't want to ruin it for Rick, but okay. but there is something that is like it, it's like this was this was screenwriting 101 that he just kept screwing up, and I don't like it. And I, it happens a lot in Hollywood. I see a lot of movies where this happens, where you you have this chance, this should well. We can talk about Days of Future Past at the moment. Like to me, Quicksilver right. should have made his choice at the end of the movie. They show him watching TV. Yeah, he he should have shown up. He's you just kind of aghast have, at what's going on. You needed to have closure on that character right, because right, you've introduced right. a character we wanted to see more of. I don't think they could have because Fast Fastbender was going to be going to prison, and you suspect. Quicksilver is going to go over to the Fastbender side. Maybe, but maybe he could have helped Fastbender, and then we'd have known. You yeah, know, and that's the and that's the yeah. Uh, he texted me one of the cameos. It was like, yes, okay, I got it. Uh, I did. I agree that that cameo was hilarious. I did recognize that. There's yet another. I got to go see the movie. For there is yet time. another one that Jason pointed out that I didn't recognize the person who didn't speak either. And uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Is there are things that at closure, the movie doesn't reach. It reaches a closure that's like doesn't make sense, okay. and so I mean I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, so uh, you know, all right. So we're we're happy there. The other thing that hanging out with Jason Salazar got us, and, and now we know we all have to spend too much damn money this week, is that the Guardians of the Galaxy toys have hit. Yes, including though not at Toys R Us apparently. Jason had to order from Amazon. Oh, is that what? And I want to say something about this. I'm looking very... This is my serious face. You're, you do look serious. You, because have, I'm you look, have your index finger I'm raised. looking at big picture stuff here. Toys R Us has turned over their internet sales to Amazon. Yes. So I don't think... I yeah, Right. Yeah. But this is... Here's my problem. This is the Borders mistake. Uh. Because that's what Borders did. So if I can't find a toy... That I want at Toys R Us, right? But I can get it on Amazon. That's the death knell. When the coolest toy, when everybody, everybody who's into Guardians of the Galaxy knows, the coolest toy that's going to be in that Guardians of the Galaxy thing is the talking, rapid raccoon. firing rocket raccoon. Now, is that what already came out? And Salazar has already posted pictures of. Yep, he posted a video of it. Yes, awesome. and we played with it last night. <laughs> and and we did. I mean, because it's like, and he bought one for himself and one for Sydney. That's right. Yes, and Is he's it got the Legos. You dreamed of, and he's got the Legos, and he's got the Titan Heroes. Which I don't like the Titan Heroes lines because they, it's not. It, I don't mind that they don't do anything. They're just not jointed enough. Oh, okay. Make them big and let them bend their arms or something. You know, like I would. Oh, they don't. No, they they're they're, they're jointed at the stiff? shoulders. They're they're jointed the way the original Kenner Star Wars twelve inches were. Okay, the original ones. Like yeah. so the shoulders and figure hips. was just shoulders and legs. Right. And yeah, they're expensive for that then. They're, well, they're ten bucks. No, the Titan Heroes. Yeah, I've been really. I, I picked those up for ten bucks for Luke. Okay, but I stopped buying them for exactly that reason. It's like, well, they're big, and they don't really do anything. They're like mildly movable statuary. They're my, yeah, and and, I, and so they, and they don't really even stand well on their own. So I don't like that line. Okay, but 
I will buy him <laughs> that rocket raccoon because that's awesome. And the Gatling gun lights up, and he, you know, is, we're about to hit the big time. It's probably, you know, and I love that Jason looks over and goes, yeah, I don't think that's Bradley Cooper. I'm like, I don't think it is either, <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> you know, he talks. He lights up. He's awesome. So uh, I hope Jason forgives me for all this talking about being at his house last night. But uh, <laughs> in the inner sanctum. Did you get to play with the Dragon's Lair? No, I didn't. Oh say yeah, that what long. about Space Ace? I didn't. Oh, get, I, I didn't get to play. The oh, he just got. He just got a Space Ace. That's yeah, right. I, I, I didn't. We just we we filmed and then we went to the movies and that was it. Okay, but we had a little time while we were setting up and waiting for Drew to show up that I we started playing with the toys. So um, and and Sydney had to show me right. I mean Sydney had to. Of course. Yeah. So uh, it was just they're awesome. Has she toys. worked out dialogue with the raccoon yet? I don't know. <laughs> that kid's going to. Yeah. That's a she's, she's a clever clever kid. So. We enjoyed it. Uh, you know, the toys look really awesome. The Legos, I think, look really awesome. And I don't know. Groot looks a little too much like a Transformer Groot. It looks the the, the joints. But, that's, but that happens with the giant, with the larger Legos. I just think yeah. they do. It, it's the nature of being a Lego, and I forgive a lot. I forgive a lot there. But um, you know what I really want to see happen is the prints. And I don't know if people are sending them to James Gunn and just doing them themselves. But the prints that he's posting on Facebook, the alternate posters and the yeah, alternate yeah, yeah. ideas, I want a book of those. Oh, yeah. I so want that the Rocket Raccoon is the Rocketeer. I want that Rocket Raccoon as a 1920s animated character. I, I You know, it, it's true. Now, you know, Marvel, I like the one with Gamora and uh, Starlord. Oh, yeah, yeah, that Chaka, romantic, yeah, romantic one. one. But, but uh, honestly, gang, if, if Rocket Raccoon does not become the breakout star... Yeah. Of 2014. Do you think this is what George Lucas was saying when he was thinking so about George R. Brinks? Uh, no, I think he was thinking with Howard <laughs> the Duck. Um, but George R. <laughs> Lucas can't do it. James Gunn can't. Okay, good. You know, that's all. You know, I think about that because, you you know, and people, I haven't credited this enough. And I've never watched Tromeo and Juliet, which was kind of his first big screenplay. Yeah. Um, but go back if you can. I don't know where you'd find it if it's in print now, but I know I've got a copy somewhere of the specials. The the eighth most popular super team, the mockumentary about them on the eve of their getting their action figure line. And the characterization and the ability to find pathos in characters whose powers are ridiculous. Yeah. You know, my favorite part of that is James Gunn stars himself as Minute Man. And everyone around is going, hey, Minute Man. He's like, no, it's Minute Man. I get small, okay? I become minute. And, you know, and so having made that bad choice. But he makes the, he's able to take these ridiculous seeming characters and make them feel real. Yeah. And so, again, I just look more and more uh, towards it. So I have one more toy. Oh, please. It's in this bag over here. I'm I've kept scared. it a surprise all along. Does it vibrate? No, but... I want you to react to it as I when I pull it out of the bag. Okay. It didn't come in. Uh, no, because I ordered that. I ordered that, and I have not. It did not come in. Got elusive. This is the Rocketeer from Reaction Figures. Okay, I'm going back to Elusive Comics tonight and saying, "Excuse me, but did my Rocketeer figure come in?" Do you want to hold it? Jerk. <laughs> Jerk. Um, well, you're laughing, but there's a there's a Snake Plissken and there's a Jack Burton figure in this series too. I the Ooh. figures I have ordered already have been uh, from Pulp Fiction, Jules, yeah, Butch, Mia, mm-hmm. Marcellus, the Wolf, and the one that actually the first figure I ordered, which got me into buying all the rest of these, was Jimmy Dimmick 
I don't know where that's from. That's the character played by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. So I, I said, I have to have the Quentin Tarantino action figure. No, I just wanted this one. Rest. So I actually ordered two of these. So one for my son and one for myself. And they also are doing Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, in general, I don't like this design, but the reason I would, uh, the reason I have to buy this is it's the only Rocketeer action figure there That's is. That's it exactly. I am not happy with the, the torso proportions. The torso, yeah. the torso is elongated, and I'm also not happy because I thought they would do this, and it doesn't look like the neck is articulated such that he can tip his head back and have the probably have not. The, but that's uh, the limitation of this size. I would really like someone because I just get the feeling. That Disney is sitting on the Rocketeer and trying to yep. figure out how to, no pun intended, relaunch him. Because if you go to the park in that in that um, steam, what I ran a piece on it. The the gallery at Disneyland, right? There's Mickey Mouse as the Rocketeer, right? right That's right. a Disney generated piece. Yes, he's still popping popcorn in Tomorrowland, and they play the theme song. That's the first theme that plays in the morning at Tomorrowland. Yeah, they and I love it. It's inspiring. You walk down there on a ma- you know magic morning and you hear da 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 da. You're just like I must tackle Space Mountain, <laughs> and you know it's like it's awesome. So I know they know what they're sitting on. Yeah, they just have no idea to revive it. But I want them to so that I can have a Rocketeer Lego. I can have a Rocketeer action figure of a decent size. I'll buy a twelve inch with. with you know, make it reasonable. Not one of those two hundred dollar Japanese special company Kinikoyas no, no, no. or whatever. I want something like this, but just a little taller, six inch. Yeah. Do like one of those black label that Star Wars has done for Kenner. You know, or Kenner's done for Star Wars. Right. That, that I, I'm pointing for those who can't see. Absolutely. Paul Cunha has several behind behind the bar here at Seven Stars Bar and Grill, three ninety eight, Bascom Avenue, and they're fantastic action figures. I'd love. I'll spend twenty twenty five bucks on a decent figure of and it's got to be bill uh, campbell billy campbell right, as, right. as look, cliff Secord. and this does look like, a little bit like campbell yeah no I, 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 I the accessories are nice the removal yeah, yeah. Uh, we're uh, doing radio so we gotta yeah yeah, describe yeah. This well little bit. Uh, the rocketeers uh, helmet three is pretty and, much three pretty and, much an old 30s radio three and a, three quarter inch figure and it yeah, down to like the bottom the star wars it days. says adult collectible not a toy I'm so tired of that. <laughs> Bleep it up because I want to say, I am tired. Yeah. To to hand these things and then and then it's like, give it up, adults. Right. These are toys. No, no, they're doing this because they don't want the lawsuit. I guess with with swallowable little. But uh, I, but but I noticed these that, things. I noticed that DC does a lot with the Mattel stuff. Yeah. And I know that they're small and swallowable. Okay. So they can't just put. There are small and swallowable pieces on here instead you, of saying... You, you can't do it. It's the same amount of words. Yeah, you, yeah, it's not enough. That that actually puts the responsibility on the consumer. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to leave it in the package, but I say, I say, well, I, I'm just tired because, like I said, the DC figures do that, and it's like, no, you can't... I've given, like, you know, that that great Batman figure we both got, that Christian Bale one, that right. dark, you know, right, beautiful. Right. It's like, and that's not a toy. I'm like, are you kidding? That's because it has the little tiny batarangs. You have, but if you are a collector and you have a child. Right. It's going to get played with. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I, I understand your reasoning. I don't, I don't disagree with you as to why. It just upsets me. I understand. People, take responsibility for yourselves and adult collectors. Take responsibility for them as toys. Admit that's what you're doing. I think that's a great 
thank you. And if you'd Way like to, to buy out. any of these toys for your adult collectorship on Amazon, which is knocking Toys R Us out of business as a brick and mortar, you can find those links on Amazon at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, but seriously, if you're listening to this podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can rate us. Please do. Please rate us. Please review us. Please tell your friends and subscribe. Listen to us on the Stitcher app if you feel so inclined subscribe there if you enjoy this podcast and of course you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com because each podcast has its own page where you can then find links to many of the things we talk about although again i do stress and and rick does too and nate would too if he were in the room with us right now that you want to find your local small business which is rapidly becoming barnes and noble included uh you know that they need the support um, and, and, and I agree with that. I, there's still something to me about being able to walk into a store and just, ah, the smell of a comic the book store. The chance encounter with something you never went in there looking but for. Don't, but but don't find. go on the gaming side and do that sniffing thing, because that, that's, <laughs> that's bad. But, but go on the comic book side. It's getting better. Uh, so wow. <laughs> I will say you that know I that's did, true. Uh, when I posted that Big Trouble in Little China and Batman 66 Meet the Green Hornet were, were releasing today... I posted on my Facebook, pick them up at Earth 2, Earth two High Jinx, Elusive, good yep. you, man. That Flying was Colors. Good on you. And I, I, I totally agree with all that. And uh, so, uh, all, but, you know, and if you go to those stores and then you want to come back and still support Fanboy Planet, you can find a PayPal link on every page as well. We really appreciate your donation. This uh, We essentially do this for free, uh, but it would be nice, you know, very every now and then we get a little bit of sponsorship. Uh, you know, I do want to acknowledge that uh, there's a product available. You can go to Family Planet. Uh, Sparks has a new iBook version with audio commentary by Bill Cat and uh, Chris Foligno. So do you buy that through the newsstand or the... I, I don't know, that, but I have a link directly on okay. on Fanboy Planet that can take you to, for six ninety nine. you get the whole graphic novel, which oh. is retailing for 20 bucks as a as an actual paperback. That's quite a bargain. Yeah. So and, and then you get this audio commentary from Bill Cat. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so uh, encourage all that. If you have questions, comments, compliments, criticism, commentary, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. And once again, cannot stress enough, thank you so much, Paul Cunha, for making the single best linguisa corn dog I've ever had today and uh, for letting us be here at the Seven Stars Bar and Grill and for taunt, letting me taunt Nate with that fantastically delicious linguisa corn dog. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it was delicious. I'm sorry. Oh, it had a it had a it had a batter like tumor off to the side. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was, Those are the best. Make, oh, they are. They make fantastic. tumors sound so good. I know. <laughs> Cancer eaters. That's what we are. So uh, <laughs> I wish uh, we were going on on such a high note. We were. We we, we got funny. Uh, so I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com. I'm Nate Costa, and I would like to tell you. That today, according to Capriati's Sandwich Shop, today is National Philly Cheesesteak Day, so I will be eating that for dinner. Okay, great. And? And I'm Rick Bretsnyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only, only for, for good. good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com.
lukeskisk.com. The power of brains compels you. Nate, did you take uh, Tiff to go see Maleficent? Not yet. It was actually a really good film. That's what I've heard. I actually was going to go by myself to see uh, Godzilla in IMAX 3D. Yeah. Because I still have that uh, pass. Ah. And Maleficent took over the IMAX 3D. Uh, theater, but you had your heart set on Godzilla. Do, now, do you think it would have been worth? Is yes. it worth it in IMAX 3D? No, yeah. I'm not going to see. I, it. I I'm not. So. No, I'm going to save it for Guardians of the Galaxy. And regardless, I, th- I think Maleficent. Did you see Maleficent? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Maleficent, maybe there are a lot of flying scenes. There's a lot of magic and mist and stuff that might have made 3D worthwhile there, but we did not see. No, it in 3D. I know. I saw Godzilla in IMAX 3D. I mean, for what it was, I suppose you know. But again, it's, that was that was free, so. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's what I would be doing. I'm not going to pay for any 3D movie ever. What about Avengers? Would I pay for Avengers in 3D? Yeah. No, I would see it in 2D. Okay. I don't really, I mean, unless it's actually shot in 3D, I don't care to see it in 3D. Right. The uh, oh, there's a Maleficent uh, bejeweled clone. Yeah, that when you move the screen left and right, the background shifts as if it's a lot like the um, the made fire stuff. Did Rick? Are you the one that told me I should be playing Marvel Puzzle Quest? I said that I found Marvel Puzzle Quest more fun than the other one. Okay, well, thank you for ruining my life. Are you playing it? <laughs> Yes. Isn't it more fun than the other one? I don't know. I've never played any of the other ones. Did you I never play the one that interest. Tapia plays? And yeah, you did. Huh? You played that other that other Marvel social media game where you yeah yeah I yeah. play uh, Avengers Alliance Avengers, but yeah. I don't play the other puzzle games like Bejeweled and all that stuff. Right, right, right. Well, this is a there's a whole. I mean, the the Bejeweled. Slash sword and sorcery um, game metaphor has been around for a while. They've just brought it back and applied it to a uh, superhero thing. Yeah, but I, I mean, I was playing bejeweled uh, style sword and sorcery stuff like three years ago. Yeah, and I wasn't. I was never playing any of this. You're welcome. I'm You're so I'm happy to enrich your life. <laughs> there we go. Thanks so for nothing. All that free time that was turning into tumors for you. Right. Is this too loud? Could it be any louder? All right. Uh, Are we good? What I don't like about it is the guy who put this on is is playing the Rockola like it's a slot machine right now. Too early to be a sloppy drunk. Okay. Okay. I think we go ahead with it. Okay, let's do it. Nate. I'm ready when you point at me. In three, 
two, one. Listen up and bow.